welcome back to Stories New and Old with me, Alyssa. Today, I'm very excited because we're going back in time to the inception of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. We'll learn about a key figure who you probably have never heard of, who did a lot of plundering and selling of antiquities, and was the first director of the Met. Are you ready? I know I am, so let's dive in. If you know me, you know that I have a serious love for the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. I've always enjoyed art and beautiful things and marveling at the talent of people to create experiences just through a painting or a drawing or a sculpture. I find that the Met is a really calm and serene place. It's a wonderful area to just think and learn. Um, And you may actually remember that my very first podcast episode was inspired by a painting that I love that's in the Met. Um, If you have not heard that, I will link it in the show notes so that you can check it out. The Met is also a special place for me because it was where Joe and I went on one of our very first dates. And when we moved to the city, or at least when I moved in in 2019, it was my go-to happy place. At that time, I was in the process of visiting every single section of the museum and documenting my experience. I really wanted to take in each section and not feel rushed to want to see it all. And so I was going through and taking pictures and looking up the history of different pieces that really caught my eye. Um, But when the pandemic started in the beginning of 2020, that completely stopped that project in its tracks. After realizing that the museum was going to be closed for a long time to come, I turned to learning about the history of the place. And I started with a book called Making the Met, which was a celebration of the 150-year anniversary that sadly could not be celebrated in person in 2020. From there, I learned about the first director of the museum, Luigi Palma di Cessnola, And boy, does he have an interesting story and past, and that's what we're going to focus on today. But before we jump into him, I did just want to give a little bit of background of how the Metropolitan Museum of Art started, even though it feels like it has always been there. Um, Like I mentioned, only a couple of years ago did they celebrate their 150-year anniversary. It did not emerge fully formed as the world-class museum it is today. Um, It was actually incorporated back in 1870 by a small group of Americans, and it opened to the public on Fifth Avenue, um, but much further downtown than it is today. On November 20th of that same year, the museum acquired its first object, a Roman sarcophagus. Um, So you can see they incorporated the museum without even having their first object to display. So imagine how many hundreds of thousands of objects, millions that the museum has now. Um, and they you know, started out with, with just one. On March 30th of 1880, after a brief move from that original building, um, they finally opened up to the public at their current site on Fifth Avenue and 82nd Street. So where does our friend Luigi come in? Well, he was born in 1832 in Sardinia, and at the tender age of 15, Luigi joined the Sardinian army and served in the First Italian War of Independence. During the battle, he was decorated for bravery and promoted to the rank of second lieutenant. And let me just reiterate, he was 15 years old, and this is what was going on. 
Later, he moved to America and he got married and he founded a private military school for officers where in a six month period, he trained over 700 students. So needless to say, this guy was a force of nature. He really kept the military thing going, um, and beginning in 1862, he took part in the American Civil War as a colonel in the 4th New York Cavalry Regiment. He was accused during this time of sending stolen property up north, and he was threatened with dishonorable dismissal from the army. And just a side note, stealing ends up being a bit of a theme, as you will see in our story later. However, the army did not get rid of him because he was wounded and he was taken prisoner by the South. So he ended up spending nine months in captivity in Richmond, Virginia, and then he was eventually traded for another prisoner. So can you imagine, like this kid started out 15 years old, he's being decorated for his bravery and promoted in this first war in his homeland of Sardinia, then he ends up going through the Civil War and getting in trouble, but also kind of being a bit of a war hero because of his capture. Um, and then after he was traded for another prisoner and he got out, he was nominated to become a general. Uh, but the U.S. Senate never ended up confirming his appointment. But for the rest of his life, he still went ahead and called himself general, and he had it added to his gravestone. So like I mentioned, there's going to be a theme of stealing things, and there's also a theme of exaggeration that goes on. So what happened after that, after his war times? Well, Abraham Lincoln appointed Luigi U.S. Consul to Cyprus, and he arrived in Cyprus in 1865. At the time, the island was under the rule of the Ottoman Turks, and being the consul, the U.S. consul to Cyprus, didn't really mean a whole lot. There wasn't a lot of duties that Luigi had. Um, so he was like, you know, I have some bandwidth. And he accepted a request to also act as a consul of Russia. At the time, there was a lot of plundering that was going on of ancient treasures. There were many diplomats who engaged in this, and there were like legitimate people who were exploring and were traders that were educated in buying and selling antiquities in Cyprus. Um, but because Luigi, you know, had this time on his hands, he decides, you know what, I want to get in on this. I want to start uncovering buried treasures. And when I say treasures, what that really means is artifacts from an earlier age. So he decides he wants to get in on this and he gets together a team and he starts digging. And he does really well. <laughs> There's a lot that he finds that he and his team find. Um, and he did multiple digs. He tried to get the Metropolitan Museum of Art's attention to say, hey, look, I'm amassing this great collection. You should really consider purchasing it in its entirety from me. But he didn't just reach out to the Met. He tried to pit different museums against one another to see how high he could get the bids going to buy these collections that he was putting together. It seemed like, okay, yeah, everything's well and good. But then the Turks got wind of this and they were like, whoa, this is kind of a lot of stuff that this guy is trying to take out of our territory. So once that started to come to light for them, Luigi decided, all right, it's, it's time for me to try to get out of here and take my stuff with me. 
The Grand Vizier of Cyprus denied him permission to move the antiquities. He said that Luigi had a permit for digging, so he could uncover all of these objects, but he did not have a permit to move them. So Luigi decided, you know what, I'm taking my 35,000 pieces by force if necessary, and he asked the U.S. Secretary of the Navy to send a warship to help him get the treasures out of Cyprus. When that didn't work, he chartered a vessel himself, ignoring the arrival of a Turkish man of war in the same harbor that was there to stop him. He parked 360 large cases on the docks, ready to be loaded, um, but two official Turkish telegrams arrived forbidding the customs officer to issue any movement permits to the U.S. consul. So what did Luigi decide to do? He said, no, just kidding. I'm the Russian consul. I'm not the U.S. consul. Um, And so the confused customs officer saw no reason to refuse. He only had orders that referred to a U.S. consul. Within five hours, Luigi had his ship loaded up and he was setting sail. And he ended up going back and forth to Cyprus and doing this multiple times in different ways. Um, But he, like I said before, force of nature was not going to be stopped. Even though I'm not going to go into detail about all of the times he went and did digs, um, there is one incident that I have to call out, and it's called the Treasure of Curium. So Luigi started working on a deal with the Metropolitan Museum of Art after they bought his first collection to go back and be paid for his next excavation. But he was so eager, he didn't even wait for the deal to be approved. He just headed off in 1873. I'm going to read you an excerpt of what he found from the book called Rogue's Gallery, which is a fabulous book if you are interested in all of the different scandals that went on behind the scenes of creating the Met. Um, Even though we're just focusing on this one story today, there are many more to enjoy. So like I said, let me read you this quick excerpt um, that gives you an idea of exactly what this treasure is that we're talking about. Under the Temple of Curium, the Mets trustees would soon announce, he discovered what were undoubtedly the treasure vaults of the temple, a series of four rooms excavated in the solid rock containing over 1,500 objects in gold, silver, gems, bronze, alabaster, and terracotta, left by the priests when obliged from some cause to make a hasty departure. Uh, It was a great find, and uh, Luigi said himself that his digging was the crowning achievement of his career. Now, this all sounds great, right? Uh, But the book goes on to say, the only trouble was that the treasure as such never existed. Short of funds, as always, Cessnola had ginned it up out of unconnected material, some dug up by workers in his employ, some purchased all over the island, and instead of documenting the archaeological context of the alleged treasure, he faked the provenance in an effort to present it and himself as more significant than it really was. In truth, he'd only taken quick tours of the island. So what this is telling us is that Luigi goes over 
on a mission that was not even fully approved by the Met before he went over there. He claims to have discovered this amazing temple, but in actuality, he was just moving objects all over, some that were really, you know, antiques that were dug up, but also some that he was just straight up buying (laughs) and trying to present it as this collection. Um, And the hoard ended up including over 1,000 gold and silver objects that he sold to the Met for $50,000, which equates to over $1.4 million today. Uh, So this is just wild to me um, that back in the day, you could kind of just say what you wanted to, and it would take a long time and a lot of effort to fact check it. I also want to share with you an example of how Luigi tried to make this whole thing seem more legit. So again, I'm going to read an excerpt for you, um, and this is from a book called The Metropolitan Museum of Art. Cessnola actually published a book with measured plans of the vaults of the treasury that he claimed to have excavated under the ruins of an ancient temple in the fabled city of Curium on Cyprus. In fact, there never was such a treasure vault, or at least Cessnola never found it. He had purchased the material from traders and peasants. The suspect treasure, some of it valuable as art as well as in intrinsic worth, is now almost wholly under lock and key in a vault beneath the museum. So even though this big investment was made in this collection, none of it is really on display today. So how did he go from, again, being a army guy, he's in the wars, um, then he's running around and digging up a bunch of treasure, but I said that he became the first director of the Met. So Luigi really wanted to continue to be associated with this collection, collections that he was selling to the Met, um, and he bargained with them to make him a director of the Met along with the purchase. So he was the first paid director. Um, now, we know all of these behind the scenes kind of details now about how a lot of his efforts were not truthful, but they didn't know it to that same degree back then. Again, from the same Metropolitan Museum of Art book, it called Luigi, on the balance, a bad choice. The thousands of Cyprian works that he sold to the Metropolitan are, by and large, mediocre provincial productions. They had been dug up hardly and unsystematically and were to some degree smuggled out of what was then Turkish territory. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole story of everything that Luigi did while he was director. I just want to share with you one little detail uh, that impacts all of us today who like to go and see the museum, uh, and I think it's a, a fun, kind of interesting story. In the early years, the Met was not really considered a public institution like it is today. Despite getting land in Central Park for its purpose, the Met was really for the select few that deserved to see art um, in the, the board's estimation, and for that reason, the Met was not open on Sundays. However, back in this time, the working class people worked six days a week. They worked Monday through Saturday, so they would never have the opportunity to go to the museum because Sunday was their only day off. As the years went on with Luigi as director, the idea started popping up more and more that the Met should adjust their days. 
And part of it was because it would be nice to actually be open to the public. And part of it was money. Um, it was very hard for the museum to be profitable when it was busy making purchases to put itself on the map. And even though they were getting a lot of gifts and donations, it still was not um, easy to turn a profit. And so this was a new revenue stream, or at least an additional um, day that they could continue to collect revenue. Now, Luigi was majorly against this, um, and I'm going to read you a quote from that book that I mentioned before, Rogue's Gallery. The erroneous idea has gained some currency that the museum is a public institution, he fumed. The public has no claim on it at all. If forced to open, Cessnola said he would stop heating the building. Let the public go there and freeze. When they had become stiff, I would set them up among the other groups of statuary. Unfortunately for Cessnola, a Parks Department commissioner had spotted people entering the museum on a Sunday and tried to get in himself. That embarrassing fact was confirmed by Cessnola, who admitted that special friends of his and of the trustees were sometimes admitted on Sunday. So he was kind of caught in the act of breaking his own rule. In 1891, they finally decided to open up on Sundays, and uh, they, you know, Luigi was kind of, you know, going a bit overboard with his um, saying that he was going to, you know, turn off the heating in the building and that these people were really going to be a problem to allow them in, uh, but... Once they did open up the doors, I want to share what the public decided to do as they were first coming into the museum. A few weeks after the fateful vote, more than 12,000 visitors crowded the first Sunday at the Met. They found the gallery with Curium treasures closed, many paintings hardly covered with glass, 18 guards on duty instead of the customary 11, and the director nowhere to be found. Cessnola had battened down the hatches and left the premises. But the biggest problem turned out to be an absence of spittoons. Many visitors took the liberty of handling every object within reach. Some went to the length of marring, scratching, and breaking articles unprotected by glass. A few proved to be pickpockets, and others brought with them peculiar habits which were repulsive and unclean. Uh, and so when I mentioned spittoons, that's a vessel that people would spit into, um, which I guess was better than just spitting on the ground. But unfortunately, the museum was not housed with spittoons, and so they were literally spitting on the ground, touching the works of art, stealing the works of art. Um, and Luckily, we have all gotten much better with our museum etiquette, so we are no longer fulfilling the prophecy of Luigi that said these people are going to be a real problem. Um, and instead, uh, if you are ever visiting a museum now, you know that there's been a lot more done to protect the works of art. So that is the story of the daring, questionable Luigi Sensola. He passed away at the age of 72, and his funeral at St. Patrick's Cathedral in Manhattan was attended by a crowd of more than 2,000 dignitaries and mourners. From being a war hero and prisoner, to an excavator and museum director, to receiving honorary degrees from Columbia and Princeton Universities, and a special knightly order from the King of Italy, Luigi really has had one hell of a life. 
If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to stories new and old on your podcast platform of choice. You can follow me on Instagram to get teasers for new episodes and check out my blog for more great history content. If you're so inclined, please rate and review this episode as it helps me come up with new ideas and is a wonderful way for you to support the podcast. Thanks for listening to Stories New and Old with me, Alyssa. I will see you next time.